So picture this. You're sitting on your couch with someone beside you, a friend, a family member. Maybe you're watching TV or reading the paper. And suddenly that person sitting next to you lets out a great big sigh. <sighs> What's the first thing you say to that person? What's wrong? Right? Because we sigh when something's wrong, when something's bothering us. Maybe we're tired, maybe we're discouraged, maybe we're frustrated, maybe we're bored. We just let out a sigh. Something's wrong. So this person sighs, and you say, what's wrong? What do they almost always say back? Nothing. <laughs> now, you know it's not nothing. If it was nothing, they wouldn't have sighed. They'd still be watching TV. It's something. Something's wrong. Something's bothering them. But they say nothing because they can't put it into words. They can't really describe what's wrong, what's bothering them. Maybe they're discouraged or tired or weary or frustrated, but they, they really don't know why exactly. They just can't put it into words, so they sigh. And here's the interesting thing. When you sigh, you may actually be praying and not even realize it. So we're coming up to week eight of our 10-week series on one-word prayers. Two more to go after this. And this morning, we come to the end of a little bit of a sequence. Uh, I think it was an unintended sequence, actually, as we've laid out this series, but a sequence of prayers culminating today. It began three weeks ago with what we called but prayers. When we pray, but Lord, we're pushing back a little bit against God, kind of engaging Him in a little give and take. Two weeks ago, we talked about why prayers. And when we pray a why prayer, we're directly questioning God, His wisdom, His will, His love. And last week, we talked about angry prayers. When we are thinking or saying things to God, we dare not even put into print. So, but prayers, why prayers, angry prayers. But sometimes, sometimes we're so tired, we're so discouraged, we're so confused, we're so weary, we can't even muster the energy to put our feelings into words. And so we just take a deep breath and let it go. And that sigh, it turns out, is a prayer. And a pretty eloquent one at that. What are we saying to God and ourselves when we sigh? And what can we expect from God and ourselves when we offer this one-word prayer? That's what we're after this morning. So let's talk about sighing for just a little bit. What exactly is a sigh? Well, the dictionary tells us pretty simple. The primary meaning is to draw in and let out audibly a deep breath. To draw in and let out audibly a deep breath. The dictionary tells us that usually it's an expression of, of weariness or frustration or boredom. But there is a secondary meaning to sighing, and that is longing or yearning for someone or something. So when you put those two ideas together, we sigh when we feel deeply the gap between the way things are and the way we'd like them to be. When we feel that disconnect between what's happening in reality and what we were hoping would happen, when we feel that disconnect, we sigh. And we also sigh when our best attempts to bridge that gap continue to fall short. We sigh. Now, it turns out sighing is a very human thing to do. And there are some physiological reasons why we sigh. 
infants sigh. Every 50 to 100 breaths, an infant will slow down, take a deep breath, and let it out. And doctors say it's a way that, that the infant is regulating its breathing. Adults do a similar thing. It turns out that when we are concentrating heavily on some particular task, that our breathing becomes shallow and rhythmic. And so a sigh stretches our lungs and allows us to oxygenate better. So there are physical reasons we sigh. Some psychologists set up an experiment in which they had a, a group of subjects, either one at a time or in small groups, work on a series of puzzles. Some of them solvable, some of them not. The subjects were told, take as much time as you want. 70% of those subjects sighed at some point during that exercise. On average, they sighed four times as they tried to solve those puzzles. And most often, they sighed between unsuccessful attempts to solve the puzzle. And so it seemed as though the sigh was both a physical and a mental reset that enabled them to kind of go at it again. So it turns out there are both physical and psychological reasons that we sigh. And if there's a patron saint of sighing, it has to be Charlie Brown. Right? <laughs> it's got to be. I mean, think about this guy. He loves baseball, and his team never wins a game. He has a crush on a little red-haired girl, but he can't find the courage to talk to her. He wants to fly a kite, but he keeps getting stuck in the tree. He wants to kick the football. Lucy keeps pulling it out from under him. He loves Christmas, but the true meaning of it seems to elude him year after year. Charlie Brown wants so much for himself and for his friends and for the world, but his best efforts just always come up short. So he sighs. And so do we. We sigh when we feel the gap between the way things are and the way we'd like them to be. When we're tired of waiting on the world to change. When we're tired of waiting for that friend or family member to come back around to us or to God. When we're tired of not yet being the person we really want to be. As a pastor, I, I sigh a lot. I sigh sometimes on Sundays when I get in my car and head home after preaching and feel as though the sermon didn't quite connect the way I hoped it would. Whew. Try again next week. I sigh when I see a person making real progress in their journey of faith only to have them turn and walk away or fall back into some unhealthy habit. I sigh when I read about yet another pastor who has to resign for moral failure. This past uh, week, I got an email about a family here at church who has already been through a series of hardships and heartaches, and they just had something else really hard happen to them. And I, I was trying to send an email in response, and, and I couldn't think of the words to say to that family. I couldn't think of the words to say to God. All I could do was take a deep breath and let it out. We sigh when something's wrong, when we feel that gap, and we just can't put it into words. 
Now, one of the interesting things that researchers have discovered about people sighing is that they sigh just as often when they're alone as when they're with people. So that has led some researchers to conclude that sighing is not a form of communication. It's just something people do. Why else would you do it if you're by yourself? What those researchers are forgetting is that someone's always listening. You're never alone on your couch. The Lord hears those prayers. So sighing, when it's properly understood, actually becomes a prayer. As it turns out, we find people sighing and praying all the way through Scripture. David. David is a poet. If anybody ought to be able to find words to express feelings, it ought to be David. But sometimes even David can't find the words, so he sighs. We read a few moments ago from Psalm 5. He's dismayed by all the evil and the wickedness in the world, and so he prays, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. A little later on in Psalm 38, he's dismayed by evil not in the world, but the evil in his own heart. He's feeling the burden of his own sin and guilt and shame. And so he prays, All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. He's feeling the gap between the way things are and the way he'd like them to be, the way he is and the way he'd like to be. We come to the New Testament. We find that one day a group of people brought to Jesus a man who couldn't speak and couldn't hear, and he'd been that way for a long time. And in that culture, it meant that that person would be both an outcast and a beggar. And so when Jesus considered that man's condition, and the distress of all the family and friends who brought him to Jesus. The Bible says, he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. Because this was not what the Father had in mind when he brought humanity into being. A short time after that, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, came to Jesus, and, and they asked him for a sign to prove his identity. Now, keep in mind, this is just after he's fed thousands of people with a handful of loaves and fishes. And they come and say, show us a sign. Jesus sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? You can hear the, the frustration, the exasperation, if we dare use that word about Jesus, with the way things are. But as I worked my way through the scripture, the passage I found most helpful to understanding the sigh was actually in the book of Romans. That's a little surprising. Uh, the book of Romans is primarily a theological treatise, especially chapters 1 through 11. We don't often go to Romans for touchy-feely aspects of the Christian faith. But I found some really fascinating insights into, into sighing, why we pray this way and what it means. So let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a few minutes. And we're going to begin in verses 25 through 26 and then kind of back up and work our way through the passage. Romans 8, 25. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So there you have it groans that words cannot express. There are times we don't know how or what to pray. Sometimes it's because we're so discouraged and disheartened we can't find the energy to pray. 
Sometimes it's because things are so complicated, we don't even know where to begin to pray and what to ask for. Sometimes it's because we're so lost and broken ourselves, we're not sure we can even look up towards heaven and talk to God. All we know is that things aren't the way they should be. So we take a deep breath and let it go. But in that moment, the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes and translates that sigh into the language of prayer. Connecting the, the longings of our hearts with the purposes of God. Because the Spirit knows both. The Spirit knows what's happening in our hearts and the Spirit knows what's in the mind of God. And so when we are having a hard time connecting with God for whatever reason, the Spirit helps us make that connection. This is a good time for maybe a little sidebar kind of lesson on the theology of prayer. Sometimes we get a little casual and even flippant about the way we pray. Let's just remind ourselves how and why we pray. I'm going to call it Trinitarian praying. When we pray, theologically, we address our prayers to the Father. The Father is the, is, is the, the source of life, the giver of good gifts, the king of the universe, the sovereign over all things. And so when we pray, we rightfully address our prayers to the Father. But we offer those prayers through the agency of the Son, Jesus Christ. As sinful human beings, we would not even have freedom to come into God's presence, His holy presence. But Jesus, by His work of forgiveness and freedom, makes us sons and daughters of God. And so in Jesus' name, we come crashing into the Father's presence to tell Him what's on our heart. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables mortal beings to communicate with an immortal, invisible, only wise God. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever talk directly to Jesus if you want to. It doesn't mean you can't call on the Holy Spirit when you need comfort or conviction or empowerment. There are times it is appropriate to talk to a particular person of the Godhead. But keep in mind that the, the, the wonder of the triune God is that He is one God existing eternally in three persons. So to talk to one member of the Godhead is talk, to talk to all three persons. But it's helpful in clarifying to know the, the grounds upon which we pray. And that without the Holy Spirit, we could never make that connection. Now here's the good news. The Holy Spirit, unlike Verizon and AT&T, provides 100% coverage. <laughs> Wherever you are, He can hear you now. Okay? You're never alone on the couch. In fact, He hears you even when you sigh. So let's come back to that wordless prayer, what Paul refers to as groans that words cannot express. Why and when do we need that kind of prayer? Let's back up a little bit to verse 18. He, Paul begins this section by saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now notice here the tension, that gap we talked about between our present sufferings 
and the glory that will be revealed, the way things are and the way we'd like them to be. Now, theologians talk about this tension, this gap, as the difference between the now and the not yet. The now is the fact that the kingdom of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it, the kingdom of God is among you. So, on one hand, the kingdom has come. But we all know that the kingdom will not come in its fullness until that day when Christ rules completely and perfectly over all people and all things. Then the kingdom will come in all of its fullness. And so we live between the now and the not yet. The way things are and the way we'd like them to be. Our present sufferings and our future glory. Now, remember that old song, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you? That's us. We're stuck in the middle between the now and the not yet, between suffering and glory. And you know who the clowns and the jokers are. Yeah, that's us. We are stuck with ourselves in this middle. We're the ones who keep messing things up, who keep getting in the way of the good things that God is wanting to do in this world, the good things, he's, good people he's wanting us to be. So when we find ourselves stuck in this uncomfortable middle, when, when the gap that we feel is so painful and so deep and impassable, when we feel so frustrated at who we are and how we act, we, we just let out a sigh. But in that moment, the Spirit comes and meets us and turns that sigh into a prayer. So sometimes we sigh because the world is not all that it should be. Paul tells us that, that because of human sinfulness, the physical creation, the created world, is not everything it should be. It's, it's under a curse. But that curse is a consequence of human sin. It was never meant to be a permanent condition. From the very beginning, God's plan was to restore creation so that it would, in fact, someday become all that he had in mind when he breathed the world into, spoke the world into existence. So on the one hand, the world sometimes is breathtakingly beautiful. Rocks and trees and skies and seas. But the world sometimes is tragically broken. Fire and famine and drought and disease. A tsunami wipes out a coastline. A tornado devastates a small town. Ebola breaks out across Africa. How many times watching the news do you find yourself just going, again? When we do that, if we will allow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come and take that sigh into a prayer by which we acknowledge the brokenness of this world and ourselves, but we also ask for God to do a better thing and to keep up the work of restoration. So sometimes we, we sigh because of the way the created world is. Sometimes we sigh because of the way people are, human beings. Human beings are capable of such remarkable, wonderful, beautiful acts of heroism and artistry and skill. And yet we know that human beings are capable of such awful, tragic, cruel, and horrific acts as well. And so we sigh because people are not all that they should be or could be. 
We sigh because a brilliant comedian out of sadness takes his own life. We sigh because another unarmed young black man has been shot to death. We sigh because an entire group of people are in danger of being exterminated on a mountain somewhere in the Middle East. This is what John Mayer is getting at in the song we heard a few minutes ago. Waiting on the world to change. How long will it take? When will war end? When will people tell the truth? When will the system improve? He's waiting on the world to change, but really he's waiting on people to change because we are the ones who make this world, who create societies. And he said he's tired of waiting. We, we've lived with these things for so long. Greed, pride, racism, violence, oppression, poverty, disease. Why can't we figure it out? When are we going to get it right? We're all disheartened by the continuing tension in the Middle East, Hamas and Israel not able to work things out. I mean, how, how many peace talks have we had? How many summits have been called? How many UN resolutions have been made? And still, there's no peace there. I read an article just a week or so ago by Thomas Friedman, the well-known journalist and Middle East uh, expert. In a column entitled, How This War Ends, Friedman makes a proposal for what he believes can bring about a peaceful resolution to the conflict there between Hamas and Israel. It's a fairly reasonable solution when you read it, but he acknowledges it's going to require something of the leaders on both sides that they've never been able to muster before. It's a pretty brilliant plan. As I read his article, I, I was beginning to think that, that, yeah, he's onto something. He's right. There's a way out of this. There's a way to peace. And all it's going to require is just a measure of restraint and sacrifice on both sides. I was, I was just beginning to believe it could happen. And his penultimate line yanked me back to reality. I can tell you 17 reasons why this won't happen. And I just put down the paper with a sigh. So we sigh because the world, the created world, is not all it could be. The, the people are not all they could be. Sometimes we sigh because we, individuals, Christ followers, are not the people we want to be and long to be. Let's continue in Romans 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's reminding us that even after we've come to faith in Christ, even after we've been forgiven of our sins, after we've been filled with His Holy Spirit, after we've been set free to become better men and women, we're still not there yet. We still fall into the same old foolish and often wrongful things. We're still on the way. We're still being sanctified. We're still being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And as excited as we are about the progress we make and the promise of getting there someday, we so often run headlong into our own foolishness and fallenness. I was speaking up at Camp of the Woods a couple of weeks ago, and I was preaching the Seven Deadly Sins series that uh, we did back here, back in, in Lent a few months ago. Uh, pride, lust, greed, envy, sloth, all the things people want to hear about on vacation. <laughs> I figured it would be a perfect topic for camp, right? 
actually, it, it turned out to be a great topic. Uh, people really responded well to the series. I had a great time teaching on it. There was a good, strong connection that we made throughout the week, and it really ended up being a wonderful week. Now, if you remember, when I preached on those things here at Grace, along the way, I shared a few of my struggles in some of those areas, pride and envy in particular, uh, my tendencies to be self-reliant instead of God-reliant, my tendencies to measure my worth by comparing myself to other people. I also testified to how God was giving me freedom from some of those things over the years, and, and I told those same stories there at camp. Well, we stayed for a couple days extra into the next week because Grace Chapel was coming up. So on Sunday morning, I find myself sitting in the auditorium listening to the next chapel speaker begin his week. Now, I'm familiar with him. He's an excellent pastor and preacher from the Chicago area. And the whole time he's preaching, I'm evaluating him. <laughs> Actually, I'm critiquing him. Well, I wouldn't have started that way. I'm not sure I agree with his exposition of that verse. How about an illustration right about now? The whole time, that's what I'm doing. But the truth is, he's doing a really good job. It's an excellent message. So then I start the comparison thing. I wonder if he's, if he's, is he smarter than me? <laughs> is, is he funnier than me? Does he have more hair than me? <laughs> oh, are they going to like him better than they like me? I mean, I'm doing the whole thing. About halfway through the message, I'm just about to lean over to my adult daughter who's next to me and whisper kind of a critical comment in her ear. And all of a sudden, I realize what I'm doing. And I say, what is wrong with me? I just, God just gave me a great week of preaching at Camp of the Woods. The people were blessed. I had a great time. I had as much freedom and joy as I've ever had in preaching God's Word. And now, in a matter of moments, I'm slipping back into these old ways of pride and envy, robbing me of the joy of that moment. So thankfully, I didn't make that snide comment. I'm pretty sure I sighed. <laughs> but what is wrong with us? Why is it always like that? We take three steps forward and then two steps back. We get victory in this area of our life, and then we make a mess over here. We think we finally overcome that thing that's been haunting us, and then we get tripped up by it again. We tell God we're sorry. We ask for his help. We promise we'll never do it again. And then sometimes we just run out of things to say. We just can't bring it up again. And so we just sigh. We're not the people we want to be, and we wonder if we ever will be. But here's the beauty of a sigh. It's not just about frustration and discouragement. It is also about longing and yearning. It's about getting to a better place. If we go back to the verses we've been looking at, we'll find a little phrase that we skipped over that changes the whole thing, that sets Christians sighing apart from every other kind of sighing. Listen for it again in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Notice that little phrase, in hope. The curse was a consequence of human sin, but it was never meant to be a permanent condition. God's plan, as we said from the beginning, was to restore this planet. 
Restore this world. Restore human beings. Redeem us from our foolishness and fallenness and enable us to finally become the men and women he created us to be. And his plan was that when, when we human beings were finally and fully restored, then we together could exercise the kind of dominion over creation that he had in mind from the beginning. Dominion that's done righteously. Dominion that's done in partnership with God. When that gets going, the whole plan falls into place. God has not given up on that intention. Through the work of, this, of His Son, the ministry of the Spirit, the efforts of the church, God is working now to redeem humankind and to restore this fallen, broken planet. And one day that work will be complete, the Bible tells us. He will not give up on that intention. His purpose will be accomplished. Though the, strong, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. The Bible tells us that. And so there's hope even in the face of this frustration and disappointment that we feel. Remember our definition. It's about frustration, but it's also about longing. And that's why Charlie Brown keeps showing up for baseball season year after year after. That's why he keeps on trying to fly a kite and kick the football and meet the little red-haired girl because he believes that that can and will happen someday. It's no secret that the creator of Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz, was a committed Christ follower. He understood human hope and he understood human longings. Remember we said earlier how a sigh can reset our breathing pattern, can reset our mental processes. It can also reset our spiritual condition. Reset our hearts so that we can acknowledge where we are, but again set our sights on where we'd like to be, where God would like to take us and this world when we get back in sync with Him. It reminds us that God is working in and through us to bring about better things. To paraphrase another verse in Scripture, we do not sigh like those who have no hope. When we sigh, God hears us. He not only hears us, He meets us there and translates that sigh into the language of prayer, connecting our deep longings with His great heart. And so that's our lesson for this week. When we sigh, we find help and hope knowing that God hears our hearts and will one day satisfy our deep longing for ourselves and this world. When we sigh, we find help and hope, knowing that God hears our hearts and will one day satisfy our deep and true longings for ourselves and for this world. There may be 17 reasons why Hamas and Israel will not work out this conflict, but one day there will be peace in the Middle East. I may not yet be fully free from pride and envy, but I'm better now than I was 10 years ago, and one day I'll be the man that God wants me to be. And we may be feeling the pains of childbirth right now as human beings, as the people of God, but they're the pains of birth and not death. The Bible says that one day gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So what does that mean for us practically speaking? Three simple things. First, the next time you sigh, turn it into a prayer. Invite God into that moment. The next time you feel stuck in the middle of the now and the not yet between what is and what you wish could be, 
Allow God to meet you in that moment to reset your heart so you're ready to get up and follow him again. Secondly, when you're so frustrated and discouraged and weary of the way things are that you're tempted to give up, don't. Don't give up. Instead, sigh deeply. Breathe in the Spirit of God and breathe out discouragement. The problem with John Mayer's song is that it's way too passive, way too pessimistic. We can't afford for this generation or any generation to sit around and wait for the world to change. God has called us to be the change that the world needs. And so we care for creation. We pursue justice. We show mercy. We spread the gospel. We love people in Jesus' name. Christians of all people should be the most helpful, most hopeful, most engaged people on the face of this planet because we have tasted the goodness of the now and we know the glory of the not yet and we want everyone to experience that. Amen. And then a, then a final thought. When you have fallen flat on your face for the umpteenth time, when you're so frustrated or discouraged or ashamed, you can't even bring yourself to look towards heaven, let alone talk to God. Just let out a sigh. Breathe in forgiveness and mercy. Breathe out shame and guilt. And invite the Holy Spirit to reset your spirit. To look beyond the now to the not yet. When in the words of an old hymn, we shall be where we should be. And we shall be what we could be. Things that are not now, nor could be soon, shall be our own. May it be so, Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer. What a remarkable thing that we can communicate with the king of the universe. That you hear us even when we can't find words. Thank you, Lord, for knowing our hearts this morning. Every person who's here today, every person listening, you know our hearts. You know our joys and our victories. You know our heavy burdens and our deep longings. You know our brokenness. Meet us in these moments, Lord. We breathe in your love and mercy and forgiveness. We breathe out discouragement and guilt. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, the very breath of God, that we might be your people in this world now and until Jesus comes again. Amen.